again oh yes we are <laughs> sorry i'm kind of kind of just recovering from uh what has been a a week that hasn't seemed to have ended since last week so yeah i know the feeling this week has been a little crazy but oh awesome news though of course we have a new logo it's a brand new show yeah <laughs> thank you to drew roulette for drew roulette wow that's really tough to say drew roulette for coming out with uh one of the coolest things I've seen in a while, uh, which um, I kind of have to say. Um, everybody thinks their kid is cute, so um, <laughs> I have to think ours is pretty cute as well. Yeah, I think uh, people thought that that um, logo that I made was serious and that we were going to keep using that. But that was kind of a joke. <laughs> We've actually planned for Drew to do this logo since before we recorded the first episode. Yeah, and I don't know how or why people didn't quite get that. I got the same thing from our side, too, and I had to explain to people that, no, we weren't trying to be the title screen from Miami Vice. We're fine. <laughs> well, I feel good about that. We have an amazing theme song. Um, all we have to do is live up to both of those. And I think uh, we're all right at that. Um, speaking of Miami Vice, um, and not speaking of living up to, to what you're talking about, um, <laughs> I realized we had spoken about um, 80s TV shows the other night um, while we were over at Brandon's house, and uh, the actor's name is Philip Michael Thomas. Mm, you yeah. got to refresh my memory as to what that means. Philip Michael Thomas was the other guy that played uh, opposite of Don Johnson in uh, Miami Vice. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He was in, um, he was one of the voices in... Vice City, the um, Grand Theft Auto game. Oh, I never played that. I think that was the last one I played. Gotcha. Yeah, I played a few of those games. They were pretty cool, actually. Um, don't get me wrong. Like, I don't condone, you know, wanton murder um, and vehicular homicide, but that game was actually a lot of fun. I feel the same way about Skyrim. It's pretty just pretty much me just running around with weapons and fire in my hands, destroying people and things. But I love it. Actually, I'm really curious about that because I was quite a bit of a gamer for a while. Are you more of an altruistic gamer or are you kind of a jerk? Uh, I'm actually an altruistic. Uh, at least in Skyrim. Like, I always pick a character that looks vicious. Mm -hmm. But then I, I pretty much I stick to doing the right thing. Uh, right. Like in, in Skyrim, there's certain things. There's like, oh, Thieves Guild. Okay, I want you to go beat up this person and get the money. I'm like, nah, I don't want to do that. I'll just go kill a dragon. <laughs> yeah, I always end up uh, um, because I mean, why why be a dude if you get the option to be a, a hot chick in a game? So almost every game that I've played, MMORPG or otherwise, I've always whenever there's the option, I'm always a girl. I'm the closest thing to a monster usually, like <laughs> I, like dark elves, things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think the one I have right now, he's got like some mask that looks like a face, so you can't see his face anymore. But he's a dark elf with like white skull paint. And just white, gnarly ponytail. Okay, and welcome to, and I, I thought we couldn't get nerdier, but welcome to the nerdiest episode we've we've done yet. Oh, it'll get worse, I'm sure, in the future. When we oh. really start digging into our nerdiness, there's so much more. <laughs> so much more. Stay tuned. 
we haven't even touched uh, or scratched the surface of my game nerdiness yet. I mean, there's I, I was a serious gamer for a really long time. So. And it's, it's funny, I, I probably sound like a gamer, but like I don't even have a game system. I'm playing that on my Surface, and it's the only game I own. So I'm not really a gamer, I'm a Skyrimmer. I guess I guess the 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 best term it's 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 the same way my friend describes himself as a golfer. He's not really a golfer. He just likes to golf, mm-hmm. um, and so that that seems apt in your situation as well. I just don't have time for video games. I, I made a decision. I don't know how many years ago it was. It was it was when I was still rocking a PS2. So go ahead and do the math there. Um, <laughs> I just made a decision. I was looking at. It, I'm like, yes, this is fun, but. I'm spending three, four hours a day sometimes playing these things, and I literally, I, I get nothing out of it. I don't learn anything. Sure. I don't, uh, you know, I don't earn anything. So I I took it off my, whatever, I had it on table dresser and put it in the closet. And until recently, I haven't had a game system, haven't played games. I've just yeah, I hear you. I mean, I've, I've always been a PC gamer guy, um, and seriously, it's been probably four, maybe five years since I've played a game seriously, just because, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just a matter of time. Um, and especially with the types of games that we're describing, too. Like Skyrim is one of them. Um, I also like Fallout, uh, Mass Effect. So basically these massive games, um, the, the, the first two of which are sandbox games where you can pretty much do whatever you want in that world. Uh, they, they, they're just they're just life-consuming in their own way, and I think the, the the reason why you or I liked those games as much as we did was because they allowed us a measure of freedom that wasn't just basically a mouse maze. So, pretty interesting. Yeah, the whole open world thing, uh, Skyrim, it was kind of like my, I'd say my first experience to it. I played one of the Final Fantasy games earlier, but that wasn't, I don't know if that, that counted as an open world game. But it was crazy, I think uh, two weeks ago or something, Like I, I went through this quest, and I'm going to go through this very fast for people who don't care about this, and <laughs> I killed like the biggest, meanest dragon in the whole game, and then all the other dragons kind of fell in line, and then all of a sudden, in this game, for people who don't know, you literally, you're just, you stumble across quests all over the place, things you can do, things you can do, you can go this way, you can do this, you can go this way, you can do this, and they're just stacked up in your menu of options, and when you walk away from the game for like two weeks, you come back, you're like, which of these quests was I in the middle of? And you could jump from one to one whenever you want, and literally, I I was just all over the place before, and then I went, I did this mission, and I opened the menu, and all of it was gone. And I literally, I'm sitting, holding the controller in my hand going, now what do I do? Because I was so used to having all of those options, and now it was literally I had none. And uh, it's it's interesting how prior to that, I would have assumed that you know doing something with a linear path, um, playing a game with a straight line, with a straight story, that was the way I was used to gaming. You know, um, prior to Skyrim, and then all of a sudden now, like the idea of like not having like 20 missions at once was baffling it's it's crazy how quickly you adapt yeah that's true and especially considering uh games like skyrim um mimic life a little bit more in the sense that you have a lot more in the way of choices that you can make and those choices directly affect what happens to the world around you and how the world interacts with you is pretty interesting yeah i dig it yeah i can i mean it's it's nice to have a game that um you know like these games are not cheap um, especially for somebody like me who had been out of gaming for so long, 
mm-hmm. to come back in and realize like whoa this is like sixty dollars that's a lot of money for a game yeah but then realize oh i'm going to be playing this game for like the next three years of my life sure so that's pretty cool um i would just say if you're a gamer make sure you save time to actually do things with your life you know like (laughs) make things that's the mistake i made before I was playing video games and not doing anything. Now I'm doing things and barely playing games. Toss so up. the ca- so essentially the cautionary tale: don't don't pull a Chad. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm, and there's so many ways that can be taken. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we were I you downloaded that thing I told you yeah. Flow yeah absolutely. So Wordflow we're checking out Wordflow which is the key new keyboard Microsoft released for ios i think it's for android too i'm not sure um i'm pretty sure some of the uh, software that's in this is from uh dang it what was the one that they bought SwiftKey. SwiftKey. key yeah that's right which prior was my favorite because it's just it was a fantastic thing and i'm pretty sure that this is some of this um that they use here is from them mm-hmm. um the predictions are fantastic it's so fast yeah and the one-hand mode, did you try the one-hand mode? I did try the one-hand mode. It's really, it's interesting because I'm so used to using both hands. Um, not only that, but I, I, you know, I'm not the greatest typist in the world, but I do know how to type. So not having my, my thumbs at the QWERTY position and, and using, you know, my, my keyboard that way was very strange for me. Like, it was, a, it was a very odd experience just because I so wasn't used to, to having an interface that was a pure interface that allowed me to use my thumb. So it actually took me a couple of hours to adapt to it properly. Didn't feel quite right. Yeah, I found myself going back to the normal keyboard shape. And I think it's just because I don't favor the right-hand screen, the right-hand side of the screen as much as some people do. I tend to center my thumb. So it was a little uncomfortable, and I felt like I was holding, basically holding my phone by a corner, and that just, it didn't fit my grip right. But the predictions are fantastic. I love how quickly whether in the one-handed mode or in the normal mode how quickly and easily you can go into the emojis Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of these third hand keyboards didn't have emoji built in or the emoji would be sometimes tedious and difficult to get into Um, so that's that's a cool pro i mean cool solution um the only gripe not gripe the only thing i would say that um stops me from saying everybody should have this and it's perfect is uh, all of the iOS shortcuts don't work in it. Yeah. So, for not... for example, I have to type out my email address. Um, and my email address is longer. It's therealchathall at gmail.com. It takes a while to type that when you're doing it repetitively. So I have iOS programmed to when I type EM1, it would drop it in for me. Mm-hmm. That's not doing it. So that's kind of a bummer, and it's not like it's – um. It's going to learn my email address because it's not a word. So I'm going to have to continue typing it. So it's it's one of those things, toss-up, right? Unless they add the feature because um, SwiftKey actually didn't do it at first and then SwiftKey added that feature later. Yeah, I have a feeling that's going to be. I feel, I have a feeling it's just an oversight and eventually it's going to it's going to be added. Just I mean, Flow isn't really all that old. I mean, I'm sorry, Wordflow isn't all that old. Um, it's still pretty new. Um, so I think that over time, the, the feature set will get further and further expanded. Um, for me, the only real gripe was the inability to resize the the, the, the 
one-sided keyboard, you know, the, the thumb favorite keyboard. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I wish I could make it a little bit smaller, and I have a feeling that people who have iPhone 6 Pluses will also have that same gripe. Um, you know, I, I, I discovered through using uh, WordFlow that I have fairly short thumbs, um, so that might be an evolutionary failure on my, my family's part, and I may be one generation away from not having a thumb at all. But um, the point is that I, I would have liked to have been able to resize the keyboard because I couldn't reach comfortably all the way across the screen to hit the bottom of it. You know what I mean? So that was that was a little tough for me. Uh, other than that, I thought it was a very well implemented, um, well imp implemented keyboard. Um, and I also like the fact that I can change the colors and the background and all that kind of stuff. And you've always been able to do that on Android. Uh, but I have a feeling that eventually. Uh, that cool knick-knacky feature will will probably fall to the wayside for me too, and I'll just go back to the regular non-graphically interfaced keyboard. Plus, I can't even imagine how much memory that's taking up too while I'm I'm using it. Yeah, I'm just using the standard white one. Yeah. Um, the one thing that um I I think that they did that's really nice too. There's two small things that maybe people wouldn't normally point out, but having gone through enough third third-party keyboards, um. I was paying attention. Uh, first of all, when you mistype something, right, you're swiping. So you're swiping, you mistype it. Usually it'll leave part of the word, you know, like if you mess up, it gives you something wrong. This one actually erases the whole word, so you can just redo the whole word and you don't have to spend time deleting it. That's, yeah, that is nice, actually. That's I noticed very that nice. Yeah, that is really nice. It takes a little bit to get used to because you're not used to having to do that. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing, too, is it doesn't automatically insert a space after words until you type the next word. Yeah. So, for example, if you're typing something that you don't want a space on the end, like an email address, it wouldn't automatically throw that space at the end for you to screw it up. Because when you would put that into sign-in form or something, that space would give you an error. Um, so that's nice. The Overall, I think that it's funny that how many cool things Microsoft is making for Apple. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's it's a shame that they that's the stuff that they make for their own stuff doesn't work as well. I, I'm I'm actually kinda shocked by that too as well. And it was it goes back to something that we've talked about, which is um, the separation of the various design teams and, and engineering teams within Microsoft. I have a feeling that the division of Microsoft that works specifically on iOS and um, uh, Mac based products is actually very similar to, to an Apple workspace versus a Microsoft one. You know what I mean? Plus I think that probably a large percentage of the problem is, you know, what is the foundation that they're working upon? iOS and Swift, I think everybody's still using Swift for coding, right? Or Metal's just I for games, so. right? It, yeah, most people, are, it's a combination, I assume, of C++ and Swift, which is basically C++ Lite. Um, so one way or the other, it, it, it all ends up on, on a C++ framework, I believe. Yeah, I think that um, something about iOS and Swift and all of these, it just seems like it's just so much more solid. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like... Uh, what we had talked about in a previous episode, the difference between Windows 10 and Mac OS mm -hmm. X. And OS X is, you, everybody might have their gripes about certain things about it, and you can't do certain things, but it's pretty hard to screw up OS X. It doesn't crash as often. I mean, like Windows, man, every day I have a problem. Every day. And like Windows 10 is the Cadillac of, of Windows operating systems. And it's still just 
full of bugs. Like for a while, I had a problem where my Surface wouldn't wake up from sleep and I had to restart it every time. And then it went away. Now it's back. And I haven't done any updates. Nothing's changed. It just decided it wanted to do that again. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because Crystal and I have just been dealing with uh, the same sleep slash hibernation problem when it comes to how Windows 10 is handling the USB bus on the PC um, that Crystal's using. Mm -hmm. So just before we were doing the podcast, she was in here waving her arms, um, trying to figure out how and why her internet connection had killed itself for no good reason. And yeah, she hadn't done anything different. She hadn't unplugged anything, restarted the machine. It just, it just decided that it wanted to die. That's the, yeah, it's the thing that baffles me. It's like Windows seems to break itself. Like yeah. You don't even have to do anything to it. You're like, I haven't used this computer in a week, and now it's mad at me. Like I, The other day, I swear to God, I plugged in headphones into my Surface, and the mm -hmm. sound kept coming out of the machine and not out of the headphones. I'm like, what is going on here? I thought something was wrong with my headphones. No, guess what it was? Windows mm -hmm. decided that my headphones weren't the default sound source anymore. So and it just, I, and it just up and decided that without you you changing a setting of any kind. Yeah, first of all, I never even knew you could do that. I didn't know you could tell a device to ignore the headphone jack. Huh. So, I don't know. It's a, it, it's 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 frustrating. It really is. And you know, like people still tell me like Brandon was telling me, you know, like when you get to video editing, you get to like Hollywood level video editing, they're all using these amazing PCs that they're building and I'm like, I never want to be there. I never want to be there. I want if I get to that level, I want to have a smoking Mac. Sure. Because I can't imagine working on something important like being in Premiere and editing Deadpool. Ugh. And having <laughs> PC problems. Like, well, well, guess it just closed on me. Like, no, that's never going to happen. No. Well, I, I assume that most of these larger editing houses too have almost. I, I'm I'm positive that they have in-house IT teams that are constantly working on this stuff. You know, I can't imagine. Doesn't that seem like, like a imagine, waste of money? Oh, imagine the problems that that we have just trying to do simple things. Can you imagine trying to render something that large and then oh. watching something good, like watching your shortcuts disappear for you know, or or a device or a hard drive gets bounced off of of, of your computer? I can't even imagine the catastrophes that must come. Um, from things that that go wrong on PCs in the editing world, that must be madness. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny that people don't have problems with Macs because sure. it's it's a fact. I mean, first of all, there is no computer out there that doesn't have a bug, a crash, a problem of some sort. But it just seems like my experience owning both at the same time, working with both, jumping like right now, we we always record the podcast on my old Mac because mm -hmm. it's old and it can handle that. And I like to have them separate. But I know going back and forth between the two. And I can tell you my old Mac is more reliable to me than my new, spanking new, Surface Pro 4. That has double the RAM and a higher processor. It's more yeah. reliable. I have to edit video on the other one because of the RAM. Um, actually, which brings me to something I wanted to bring up today, actually. Um, sure. I was I sent you a link about this before, but we haven't really talked about it. I was doing some more research into what Patreon is. Mm. Uh, Patreon is something that uh, I kept seeing all over the place. Um, C CGP Gray, the guy from Cortex, yeah. has a Patreon. He's talked about Patreon before on Cortex. Um, Dan Benjamin from Back to Work has a Patreon for 5x5, their podcast network. And uh, Wheezy Waiter, one of the vloggers that I follow, 
has a Patreon, and I, I'm like, what is this Patreon? Why do I keep hearing about Patreon? Patreon. So what Patreon is essentially is Patreon is like a Kickstarter Indiegogo thing, except that it's ongoing. Yeah. So, so um, Patreon coming from the word patron, right? So the idea is um, if you're an ongoing creator, you know, you're not making one movie. You're somebody that makes something on a consistent basis. Um, you make TV shows on online. You make a podcast every week like we do. You make a vlog every day, every day like I do. Or you make YouTube videos um, like CP, uh, CGP Grey does like once every couple months. And what you do is you set up a support. Um, so there's two two ways that people can do things. From what This is all stuff that I just got from like looking at it for 20 minutes. Um, for example, you charge somebody like somebody like me who does a vlog every day you can say hey it'd be really cool if you guys supported me monthly just to help me you know keep the equipment that um you know maybe i need a new computer which i totally do um maybe i need a new camera which i totally do um oh you you, okay you want to contribute so you would pay me every episode maybe it's 40 cents an episode maybe it's a dollar an episode and you can set like a monthly maximum you're like yeah well a dollar an episode that's going to cost me like 30 dollars a month i don't want to spend 30 dollars a month so you say when i hit 15 no more you know whatever mm -hmm. and it's it's a really cool thing and i'm actually looking into it for myself for the vlog and i'm also looking into it for this podcast because i would like to get better recording equipment for you on your end Mm -hmm. And uh, I would like for us to be able to afford um, things like maybe an audio engineer to go in and do some of the stuff that takes me forever to do. Um, it would be nice to have money to pay for uh, the Libsyn, um, which is our file hosting and for the website hosting and all of that stuff. It would be cool to not have to just keep forking out money out of our pocket. We don't have advertisers. Yeah. So it's a really cool thing. And, and like, I'm, I haven't made anything for us yet, but I will in the future. But if you guys have artists out there that do things on a regular basis, you should look and see if they have a Patreon and support them because it's hard being a creator consistently, especially when you're not making any money. Even like Dan Benjamin and, and Merlin Mann who have advertisers still need money because they're not making that much of, off of advertisers. And you don't want to get to the point where you're like, well, in order for us to afford to do this and to be able to grow, we need to have five ab advertisers an episode. Now you're just making your show crappy. Yeah, and I think it's fascinating too. Um, it's hard for, for people who don't live in the creative world to really understand how much you really have to sacrifice in order to create content um, that isn't inherently being paid for in some way. Um, you know, for, mo for most of us, at least I know for me, I've got a day job in order to try to support this, but it, it, it's, the day job is so time consuming that it makes it difficult for, for me to, you know, spend a lot of time on the things that we need to in order to further the podcast. And I assume with all the stuff that you need to do between the articles that you have and the contracts that you have out that you have a pretty finite amount of time, you know what I mean? Right. And in, in the long run, you know, for most artists, in, including many artists that we personally know, um, they have to somehow make a living doing this and, and sites like Patreon bring creators a little bit closer to being able to create content without sacrificing it in the way of either time or advertisers. You know? Right, and, and Patreon's not going to make anybody rich, 
but it's it's gonna it's gonna let, allow you to be working class or low end working class at least, which mm-hmm. is cool because then you don't have to have another job if you get you know enough supporters. Like I would love for us to make enough off this podcast to where first of all the next thing I would love to do is to be able to start having um, those extra episodes, those bonus episodes we had discussed doing. Because everybody always asks us to do interviews. First of all, I'm going to answer that right here. We're never doing interviews on this show, ever. This show is always yeah. going to be Lamb and Me. But it doesn't mean that we don't want to do interviews. Um, it doesn't mean that the people who've wanted to come on the show, that we don't want to talk to them, because we do. But I don't want to mess with the formula that we have. So what Lamb and I had discussed was possibly doing a monthly bonus episode. And in that monthly bonus episode, have a third person in the conversation and do it more like an interview. So that way we can have both birds and Patreon may be a way for us to get there. Like if we can, you know, start being able to open up to new audiences and start making a little bit of money on this, um, to support the podcast, then maybe you wouldn't have to have a soul sucking job. That's eating (laughs) all of your time. And it's not going to be just this, obviously, you know, there's other things, but it'll give you time to do more creative things. If if this can help a little bit, then you can do other creative things that will bring you money. And it's going to open up the world to both of us. You know, like I would love to cut back on some of my contract work and spend even more on creativity. Sure. Um, I don't I don't love going to bed at 3.30 in the morning and waking up at 9.30. Um, yesterday, I finished my vlog really early and I had like four hours of like free time and I didn't know what to do with myself, but I would love to have that problem more often. You know, and it's, and that's not just for people out there looking to support artists, but for any artist that's looking to try to supplement uh, their income in order to create more, that's also a thing for them to look into as too, into as well. We're not just talking to our audience, but we're also talking to other creators. Right. Uh, If you want to try to bridge the gap between where you are and where you need to be in order to to live a creative life where you can sustain yourself, definitely look at sites like Patreon. It is an absolute godsend for people looking to try to survive the, and navigate through a a world where you have to have money in order to live. Right, and I, I think that it's, it's really important to make a, a clear differentiation here between Patreon and things like um, Kickstarter and Indiegogo, which are not bad things. They're great things for people that are making products, you know, like, for example, like a new backpack, you know, like there's so many different designs of, you know, finding the perfect backpack for somebody with the right need or the perfect pocket watch or the perfect minimalist wallet. Kickstarter and Indiegogo, those are perfect for those kind of things. Sure. But for creators, sometimes, and I don't mean to insult anybody that is a creator that um, has used it, but sometimes it comes off like panhandling. Some people, some people have worked that very well. And the reason I, I say it's very different is because with Kickstarter and Indiegogo, it's a bit like panhandling in the sense that um, it's unpredictable is what I mean. It's not in the, in the manner of asking. Every artist is entitled to ask for money because they are creating and providing something. And it's no different than any other job in the world. But um, when people promise... You know, like I'm going to make this comic book and then the comic book never comes out or like there's even products like they've done it. They've have it's happened before with like products. Um, there's some cooler that had like a radio in it or something that some, you know, it was like this is one of the top selling things on on Kickstarter. It's been like four years and it still hasn't come out. 
and and that's just that's gnarly whereas patreon is something that's like i somebody like me for example I'm, are you gonna get what you're paying for well go look at my vlogs they're there every day you already know i'm gonna make one every day Sure. And I'm not going to charge unless I make one, you know, like it doesn't go automatically. If the video doesn't go up, it doesn't charge it. So there's a certain level of the contract is equal, we'll say. Yeah. And I, I feel like it also doesn't hold the artists um, hostage either. I remember when Giovanni and Eric were doing the uh, limousines Kickstarter for their album and just the sheer amount of time it took them to fulfill um, the Kickstarters, uh, the, the things that they, they were giving away on the Kickstarters was just monumental. Like they spent oh, it's months ridiculous. Months, you know, like, I mean, they, they spent, I mean, I remember Eric talking about it taking like a full year um, to, to take care of a, a good number of those things. And they're still working on some of them. You let's know I mean? let's so. say that they, they earned every penny of that campaign because the back end <laughs> and so did, so did Sarah, like the back end yeah. on, on the, on that work for that Kickstarter was just ridiculous. And, and that was, that was a boom for Kickstarter, at least as far as musicians and um, creatives. That was a boom period, and people weren't seasoned, and they didn't realize. I know especially Eric and Gio didn't realize how much they had promised and how difficult it would be to fulfill those. Like when you, you go on to other things now, like things are more realistic. You know, it's like like one of the things I was looking at on Patreon. Somebody said, you know, if you contribute a dollar a month, what do you get? And it's like my eternal gratitude. <laughs> it's like, yes. And, you know, like $5 a month. We will, we will thank you on an episode of the show. You know, like things that are realistic that aren't going to sap things. But like Eric was doing handwritten um, lyrics, you know, and people pick whatever song they wanted and what part of the song they wanted. And some of them, you know, would be like one line or two line. Other ones, it'd be like the whole song. Yeah. And it's just like his hand would cramp up. It's in, it's putting realistic expectations out there. Yeah, and I, I and I think a site like Patreon removes that completely from the equation, um, in the sense that if you like what we do, you're just paying for what we do, right? Uh, or and not even paying for what we do, it's just helping to support us so that we you're can being a patron, doing, you know. And I think that's 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 the key difference between services like Indiegogo and, and Kickstarter and a place like pa uh, Patreon, where you're supporting what we do and not getting. Not not just doing something trinkety or neat because it, it happens to be trendy on any given day. Right. Know? It's and basically what you what you're doing with something like this, and it, it sounds like at this point that we're really, really plugging Patreon, um, which we didn't actually intend to do. Um, but we are. It's a great idea. It's brilliant. Sure. We don't even have one yet. I'm going to make one by the time this episode comes out because it would be stupid not to after all this talk about it. <laughs> um, but we don't even have one right now. Uh I lost my train of thought because I made myself <laughs> laugh. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Whatever I was going to say was probably not that important. Oh, I know what it was. It's The thing about it is the main reason you want to support people that do things like what we do, people that are you know um, creating television shows, um, people that all of these creatives, ongoing creatives, is because at a certain point, without money coming in, they will no longer be able to make those things because at a certain point that time that they're using to make those creations will need to go to making money, mm -hmm. especially in the economy that we have right now. So I'm, I mean, I'm going to make a Patreon for us, but I'm also going to sign up and pay some of the people that I watch 
You know, like Wheezy Waiter is getting some of my money. So it was back to work in Cortex because I consume their content every single time it comes out. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to support them. And I like that too. Uh, it's it's the honor system in the sense that if you want to support me, if you like what I do, then 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 it's only right that you support it in some way. You know, and I remember, what was it Radiohead when they released that album where they basically put up the offer to their fans to pay whatever they wanted? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a really interesting idea. You know, there were people who. It, the the irony is that I think in the long run um, they had at some point posted the statistics on what the average people paid was, and it was almost exactly the average of what you would have paid for an album on iTunes. It's really funny. Well, it makes sense too, is because what we were it's what we were programmed to value an album at, right? Sure, sure, sure. But um, I just it was fascinating. <laughs> and I think that it's I love the fact that it's called Patreon because for many many years I've been thinking about that idea as you know back in the renaissance days artists had patrons mm-hmm. you know michelangelo didn't just paint for fun michelangelo painted because the pope paid him to paint he paid him to you know paid for his living he paid for all those things so that he could create those things because he was bringing something of value into the world and in a consumerist capitalist country like america it's hard to remind ourselves that art is a commodity Mm-hmm. These bring value to society. Um, even this podcast, you know, like to the, you know, whatever 10 people that love this show, or hopefully it's more than 10, but <laughs> <laughs> but to the people who love this show, hopefully we're, they like it because we're bringing value to them. Yeah. And, and the same with anybody else, you know, like Wheezy Waiter, uh, I watch his vlogs and I learn something every day about vlogging. And, and one of the main things I learn is, how to do a professional high quality vlog and not be comp- completely Casey Neistat. Mm-hmm. And so it's worth it to pay him for that, you know? Uh, <laughs> but that's the way we have to start looking at these things is everybody, everybody contributes in their own way. Um, I don't know, but you yeah, did admit, go ahead. It's, it, yeah. I, I, it's hilarious that people forget that um, when it comes to even, even classical artists that we know and love like Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci and the rest of those guys, because they, everybody assumes that most art was religious at the time because um, you know it was a much more um, sacred world versus a secular world. But that's absolutely not true. These guys painted what what the people who paid them paid them to paint, and pe- we forget that that most of these artists were able to make livings as artists because you know the the Catholic Church at the time had the most money to shell out for art. So that's why most of the paintings you see. You know, prior to to you know eighteen fifty or whatever time period, is is mostly religious. It's not because the guys themselves were inherently religious, but because um, the church fed and clothed all of the artists that we know and love. Yeah, not to mention the fact that that's why you see in some people's paintings there's like these little hidden symbolisms. Mm-hmm. It's because you know they've been asked to paint you know the Madonna and and the child and the and the baby Jesus, right? Well, that's what that subject matter is. But they might have something that they want to say, too. And the little hidden symbolisms is their way of saying something on top of it. Yeah, which is absolutely hilarious. I remember being in uh, Florence once um, some years back. It's probably about six or seven years ago. And I was in in this square, um, and I was going to get some gelato. And in the doorway of one of the squares was a mini David. um, (laughs) 
because Michelangelo was listening to a speech that was being delivered by, I believe, someone, uh, one of the you know bishops at the time that was in Florence, and he was bored, so he chiseled a mini David into the side of the into the side of this doorway, and and it was really famous, uh, this famous little doorway, because Michelangelo was. We forget that that guys like him, you know, are people just like we are. So he was bored one day, and he was just standing there with a, a little piece of metal and chiseled it into the door. It was pretty cool. That was his doodling. Yeah, that was his doodling. Of course, it was a masterpiece. It was only six inches high, but it was anatomically perfect. So, yeah, I mean, you know, obvious, obviously, it's Michelangelo. <laughs> and you did say the magic word a minute ago, Radiohead. Mm. Radiohead just dropped a new single. Yep, and it's pretty spectacular. It's very, at least the video is very much in, in, in the same feeling as, as um, uh, Paranoid Android when it came out. Right. You know? It's a mix so, between Paranoid Android and, you know, like those um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman claymations. Absolutely. And it's great, too. I absolutely love it. But, of course, I'm a Radiohead fan, so they really can't really do wrong by me. Um, don't get me wrong. They have a couple of albums that I don't really like as much as the others, but they've never been bad. You let know me guess. I mean? King of Limbs. I actually liked King Kings of Limb. Um, there were bits and pieces that were not great, but... I like that album when I listen to it continuously. It was it's one of the few Radiohead albums that I can do that with. I don't like the songs individually, but I like them as a whole. I never really I didn't dislike it, but I never really clicked with it. It just never sure. it never I don't really remember the difference between any of the songs. Let's say that. I think with Radiohead it it depends on who has the most influence in the songwriting from album to album. Um, for me, the, the albums that are more Johnny Greenwood-esque, uh, the ones with more orchestral stuff or more weird experimental stuff are typically more Johnny Greenwood. And he has a very uh, almost cinematic style when it comes to his, when it comes to, to his songwriting and producing. So I, I get the sense that Kings of Limb, and I could be completely wrong on this. I'm just making huge assumptions on this. Um, Kings of Limb was very Johnny in, Johnny Greenwood influenced, and the latest song actually kind of feels like that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He's I would definitely say, the weirdo. <laughs> I would say because there's um, that I I wouldn't even call it a chorus, but the refrain, the burn the witch refrain. The first yeah. time I heard it, I'm like, ooh, there's no hook there. But then yeah. by the second time, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm into it. I'm into it. Um, so definitely, I, I would, I would put money on the fact that probably Tom York didn't write the song yeah, because he probably would have written something with more of a hook. Although who knows, maybe he's experimenting with Radiohead. They're also brilliant. Who knows? Phil Selway could have written all of them. Yeah. Phil Selway is the underappreciated member of that band. For anyone who hasn't listened to the, the Phil Selway solo albums, please do it. They are mind blowingly good. I haven't heard them, so that, I'm on that list. Uh, I'm gonna. I, I will link a couple of songs uh, in the show notes for this week. They are, they are absolutely brilliant songs, and it, it, he's very Grolish, Dave, Dave Grolish, in that sense, in that you wouldn't expect him to to have the level of brilliance that he does. But he's one heck of a songwriter, a, a genius in in ways that I haven't even heard in Radiohead. So it's actually really amazing. Interesting. Yeah. Now you've piqued my curiosity. <laughs> I'm I'm doing something right now that's probably really smart by the way, Lamb. I'm typing a halfway summary of all the things we've talked about so that we don't crunch as much for show notes at the end of the week. Uh gotcha. That makes sense. A little bit. Well, I'll well, probably one thing, miss stuff. 
you, of course you will, but I mean, it'll be easier to fill in gaps than it is to just type it from scratch. Um, one day we'll have interns, and one day the interns will do that for us. One day we'll have people to yell at. <laughs> <laughs> That's I our goal. Have... That's our Patreon goal, because you have to set goals, is to have people <laughs> to yell at. <laughs> That's a great goal. I, I get the sense that more people would support us if we were just honest like that. <laughs> We don't really need an intern. I just want somebody to pass on my crap to. Yeah, we essentially want henchmen. That's what it comes down to. Um, I'm looking. Hey, I'm looking at my list here. Oh, let's talk about notes for a minute. Notes apps. Okay. Because that was kind of a big feature of last week's show, and I have a second part to that because I've gone a little bit further with it. So I, to recap a little bit, I was saying that. Um, you know, the certain complexities of OneNote, um, which I do, I love OneNote because of the the abilities it has. But some of the complexities do get in my way in the sense that I get caught up on all of that stuff. And I was talking to you about well, maybe a, I'm partially considering going to Apple Notes. Then it hit me the other day. I'm like, I use a PC and there is no Apple Notes application for Apple, uh, for PC. So I would have to be living in the browser window. Yeah. And that's just not that's not feasible. As I mean, as far as a notes application. I need a dedicated app for that. I need offline access to notes. I need all of those things that a browser can't provide. Plus, I started playing with the Apple Notes. Have you played with it recently? Not not as of like maybe maybe three weeks ago. I think that's the last time I actually cracked it open. It is named correctly in that Apple notes, it is for notes. It mm-hmm. is not for storing of information and data the way you would in OneNote or Evernote. It is not mm-hmm. made for that. It doesn't have a file structure that will support it. Um, and a lot of the features that it offers would be completely useless if you had say over 50 notes. Mm-hmm. For example, one of the, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna tell you two things that Apple has done that I didn't really pay attention to until this week that I'm actually really impressed with is when you're on a web page, for example, and you want to save that web page to Apple Notes, the little preview it gives you in the Apple Notes, it's beautiful. It's it's wonderful. And, yeah. it, and the same thing with um, when you're looking at something and you tell Siri, remind me of this later. And it, it gives you a deep link right to that thing, whatever it is. It could be something in another app. It's really beautifully done, and it's very tempting to almost want to use reminders for that. Um, but the problem, one of the things you can do when you're when you're using notes to save something, right? You can create a new note, or you can append it to a previous note, which is pretty fantastic. You know, say you're keeping a list of, you know, links I found interesting this week, and you just want one note. You don't want a different note for every one of them, so you can keep appending it to that note. You're just adding it onto the bottom, adding it onto the bottom. Well, when you go in to do that, it's, it brings up a list of all your notes. And can you imagine if you had more than, say, 20 notes, what that list is going to look like and how completely useless that feature becomes? And You, you know what's really funny about hearing you talk about this stuff, though? I feel like... I feel like you're talking to me about a relationship when you talk to me about Apple Notes or Apple in general. Is that you literally go from love to hate from week to week. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I will, I'll put it this way. What I really, really want, is it, isn't that a song? Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Don't do it, don't do it, dude. <laughs> I don't know the next part, so I can't. You're better <laughs> off, trust me, you're fine. 
I do, and I'm gonna. I I I hate that I even said that on the podcast. Girl power. Oh, <laughs> um. Anyways, the thing about it is, <laughs> after our spice girl girl detour, spice girl detour. Uh, the thing about it is, this is what I want. I want for this folder that I have on my phone that's full of Apple stock apps. It's just they're all thrown in there because I don't use pretty much any of them. Mm-hmm. I want to one day use all those. Mm-hmm. I want them to incorporate features that make them all useful so that I don't have to have a phone with 500 apps. I want to open my phone and be like, ah, it's so clean. There's so so little on here, but it all does what I need. That's my dream. So I'm always dipping back into the stock apps wondering like, okay, all of these features that have detoured me to these other apps, do I really need them? Can Mm -hmm. I, it's like you with the email, you know, you're using their, their mail app and it works for you. And I keep going into those things going, okay, does it do? No. Okay. And I'll use it for a little while just to see. And then I'll realize that there's one or two glaring things that I, it's like, I can't, like, I can't use their email app because it doesn't have snooze. Snooze is one of my most used features in my email. So that's a big deal to me, but also notes is a huge deal to me because I'm always taking notes, but I save them into something so that they're searchable later because I'm creating a repository of knowledge so that when I'm doing research later, for example, when I'm working on a new article and I realize, oh, this relates to that book that I read, I can pull those notes up and now I have pieces of research that I can add into my article that maybe somebody else who's written an article on a similar thing on the internet doesn't have access to that information because they haven't read that book. Now it's becoming more me. Mm-hmm. Um, so a notes app is super important to me. And I came to a huge realization this morning in the shower of what they're all doing wrong. And they're, what it is they're doing is they're all trying to jam all of it into one application. Mm-hmm. That that's inherently a problem. It's inherently a problem because every time that you go into one of these apps and I'll, I'll open a few of them right now and tell you exactly what the problems are just while I'm looking at it right now. Okay. If I open Apple notes, here's my problem with Apple notes. If I want to take a note, right? I open it. I'm, st- I, I have the button right there. I can make that note instantly. Great. Well, job. well done job. But if I want to search, I'm stuck on the screen I was on last. Like right now, I need to hit a back arrow. And now I need to go into the note, one of these folders. And now I need to pull down. And now I have a search field. So as far as adding stuff, Apple Notes kicks butt. As far as finding stuff, it sucks. Now, if Mm -hmm. I go into Evernote, I pop open Evernote. I think I need to be on the internet for this one. Okay. I pop open Evernote. We got these buttons on here. It's pretty quick. Those, but, but all the buttons are at the top. The search button, top right. Not a huge deal, but it's it's a little bit of a pain. And then I have all these different text, you know, like options to create different kinds of notes. Overall, sure. pretty balanced. But if I don't want to use search and I actually want to go through the notes and stuff like that, I'm going to get into a lot of clicking and a lot of scamming and scanning, not scamming. Um, but overall way better than the Apple experience as far as being balanced. One note, my huge problem with one note is it takes about a minute and a half to turn the app on every time. Oh yeah. That's hugely annoying. It's so slow. 
I do, I actually, at first the tab thing, when you go into the notebooks, the tab thing bothered me, but the way that they swipe across, I started to realize, I'm like, actually, that's really handy, and it's it's actually more useful than Evernote in storing large amounts of information. But the problem with this app is, you got to hit the hamburger button on the top left-hand side, which is, hamburger button is something that Spotify just killed in their app and created a bottom bar because they realize that iOS users don't like doing this. Mm-hmm. So now it's going to bring up all my notebooks on the side, and then I have the search thing. And it's it just, it's time consuming to look for stuff in this app. And it's fairly fast because of the material design to hit that bottom right hand. And it's it's fairly fast to make one. But sure. overall, the main point I'm making here is all three of these have the same problem. It's that when people go into these apps, they have two purposes. Mm-hmm. And you can't have an app that's going to cover both fantastically. Mm-hmm. You can either have one handle have it one thing fantastically and the other one horribly, like Apple mm-hmm. Notes does, or you can have it mediocre on both. Sure. So my solution that hit me in the shower today is why don't we have two apps? What if there was a OneNote entry app and a OneNote search app? Oh, interesting. I open the entry app when I need to make a note. All it does is collect it and file it for me. Boom, done. Gives me another free note. Kind of like Drafts does. Drafts is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then another app that just it directly opens to search and my file and my file structure and I can get to what I need. Boom. I have my information and that's blazing fast, too. And that seems like a more reasonable solution than trying to get an app that does two things horribly. What happens if you have to append something, though? Does it go back to the, the, the editing app for that? What do you mean? Can you clarify? Like, let's say, for example, you you use the search app. Let's say, let's just say, in a perfect world, you now have your two separate apps: one for entry and one for search. Now, let's just say you look for something in the search one, but you want to edit it. Does that bring you back to the other app? No, I think it should still work in there. The I, I literally think that the other one looks like drafts. Like if I was OneNote, I would buy drafts mm-hmm. and say this is our entry, and literally all it does is collect things and send it. Got it. Collect file collect file it's your inbox for the gtd fans out there it's your inbox boom Mm -hmm. send it boom send it boom send it it's gone you need to add something you can go over to the other one and i think that that's what in this in a in an ideal search focused app what you would have is a search button in the bottom right hand bottom right hand not the top in that bottom right hand Mm -hmm. and that bar maybe it's already opened you know maybe the search bar is just always omnipresent on the bottom so mm-hmm. you can jump right into it. And then at the top, you have a button to go into your file structure because you're going to go into that less. And all the middle of that page should be favorites, pin things, things that you're going to go into frequently. So if you're working on a project, you're going to pin that there so that when you go into prepend, you to append or prepend something or to edit it, you open that app and boom, it's one click to get into the note you need. Interesting. And it's just, that's when, I, that's, People ask me why I use paper all the time is because none of these apps are going to do that for me. I'm going to, it's better for me to just use them as a search app and never enter any information in them because they're useless for me. Yeah, I will say that about OneNote. I mean, every single day I use OneNote, I like it a little bit more, but there are just, you're right though. I mean, there are certain things it does very well and certain things it just doesn't quite do as well. Um, 
And I, I think for OneNote, the, 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 what you're saying about, about the slow load time is definitely true um, on both sides of that situation. Like, I mean, it's just so obnoxious to try to, to, to get the thing to start up on either my phone or my, um, my, my computer. Um, and I remember the, the, the situation we had a couple of weeks ago where you're trying to put the show file into OneNote. It wasn't the fact that, that the, the file wasn't there. It was the fact that OneNote took what almost 10 minutes to sync properly <laughs> yeah, so insane. i couldn't get to the file. it was so donkey slow and and that wasn't my internet connection that was purely because OneNote itself just hasn't quite figured out how to update itself fast enough for me to use it you and, know and for simplicity you think that apple notes would have a fast sync it doesn't nope evernote's evernote sync kicks both of their butts and over all of them google keep is almost instant yeah so I don't know what what's going to happen with all these apps. I had one one person tell me the other day on Twitter to look at Simple Note. I know what Simple Note is. I don't think it's going to have all the features that I needed to have, but I'm going to look at it because Yeah, it definitely doesn't. I mean, I liked Simple Note. Um and I thought Simple Note was pretty cool, but it definitely lacks the ability to organize the way that you organize. Um because I mean, you have pretty complex file and and directory structures and it is it is not quite up to par when it comes to that. Right. I mean, before for me and you we have different uses right but mm. so for example like if you were to give me the top features you would need from a note-taking app which what what are your features that you need um the search thing is definitely a big part of that equation um, just because i have so many different things i use a note app for that i want to be able to do complex directory structures but very simple access to those complex directory structures um, I wish I could control tiers of directories for example so I have level one level two level three and level four um, and I throw certain things into each level so that I can get to them quickly uh, so search is definitely a huge part of that um, I do like the idea that you you came up with with having a separate search app versus an entry app. I Although I do feel like you should be able to do some rudimentary search in the entry app and some rudimentary um, editing in the search app, but I do like the idea of keeping them separate because rarely is there a time when I need to search something where I immediately need to add or edit it. You know what I mean? Right. So, so it's really nice to have the capability of doing that without jumping through, basically leapfrogging over the editing side to get to the search. And I think that that's a, a huge problem that I have. You know, it's, I want to love that OneNote app, but I find myself every time that I'm like, oh, I need to, I need to quickly jot that down in my phone. I find myself hovering over the button going, what app can I use? And not pushing the OneNote button because I know it's not going to do what I need it to do. And that's a problem. It's and a huge course- problem. And of course, now we come full circle. It, the ideal, the ideal note-taking app for me would be one that wouldn't even require me to use a, a tactile interface. I want a, a digital personal assistant that just hears what I'm talking about. <laughs> and see, for me, that would never work because I don't want to say any of the stuff I want to write down out loud. Oh, really? It's just I'm. I do enough talking in my day. Mm. Talking to the camera, talking, and you know, like it's just. I would rather, and plus, I don't want people overhearing me. Especially my private notes. I don't want people listening to what the hell I'm saying. That's That's, true. That's one of the inherent problems with all these um, virtual assistants is the assumption that people want to say what they're doing to everyone around them. If I'm walking through the grocery store, I don't want people to know what I'm searching on Google because it might not be something I want to share. 
Yeah, or the uh, the the ability to to talk on the phone via your watch. Um, it sounds like a good idea until you actually have a conversation in public where everyone can hear what the other person is saying. Um, and Not there to may mention be you're being a jerk by doing that. Yeah, totally. That's that's such the. Remember back in the the eighties when you'd have that one guy walking around the mall with a massive phone just yelling at the top of his lungs. How about the massive boombox? Like the assumption that everybody wants to hear your music. Yeah, that's even worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. It's just there's so many. You know, like if they can invent a way that you're talking to Syria and somehow, you know, you're in some isolation field. I mean, that's something that's not feasibly, not unfeasible sometime in the future. But until then, I will not be using those things in public ever. That would be just hilariously tragic to have certain conversations I've had with people overheard by the entire world. (laughs) So what I do love, though, is I do, I love this drafts app. It is such a beautiful entry app. And I, you know, I put it on my phone, then I get rid of it. I put it on my phone, I get rid of it. And I think my my inherent problem with it is what I really wish was, I wish this was my notes app. (laughs) Uh, I wish that uh, it it was capable of the file structure that I needed to have to store all the information I have because almost everything about it, I love. I love that when I open it, it opens to a blank canvas and I can start typing instantly. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, and I, all I have to do is swipe left to get to search. Boom. That's great. It's beautiful. It's fast. And there's so so many things. And there's a huge feature in here that people don't know about that makes me wish that they made a desktop app. So if you're writing in Drafts 4, I'm talking about Drafts 4, and, and you've written several paragraphs or several lines with spaces between them, mm-hmm. there's a hamburger bottom, a hamburger bottom, hamburger button at the bottom and for those that don't know what a hamburger button is it's when there's like the three stacked lines Mm -hmm. um when you push that hamburger button it brings up the arrange window and what this does is it gives you a circle with the the red circle with the negative line on the left hand side and another three stacked hamburger button on the right for every paragraph of text so what that means oh. is if you have seven paragraphs of text and you want to delete paragraph 11, all you have to do is go in here and hit that button, that delete button, and delete that paragraph. If you want to move paragraph 9 to paragraph 2, you just hit that hamburger button and drag it up to slot 2. It's completely brilliant. I find it hilarious that you call it a hamburger button, by the way. I've never heard that that used until today. <laughs> oh, that's that's the common term, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a huge, the, and I'm. It's probably in my head because they everybody's been making a huge deal about how Spotify just redesigned that whole interface and got rid of the hamburger button, mm. and now it's all bottom. Another another funny thing about UI. Everybody's stoked that it has a bottom bar, but they're mad because the search button's in the top right. <laughs> you and just can't win. You I have win. to admit, it's you it can't. is an oversight. I have to yeah. admit, but. You know, that's that's the nerdy things we talk about on here. Wait a second, though. Does that mean you're back into music streaming again? No. It just means okay. I read. <laughs> okay. I, j- I just wanted to make sure that you hadn't dove back into that somehow. No, no, no. I, although I have been um, slowly, slowly working my way back into deleting all of those references to 
albums that I didn't own that were streamed from my library so that I can actually find an album to listen to when I needed to. It's so annoying, and there's no way to look and see what albums you you have in iTunes match. It won't show you. Jeez. That's just cruel. <laughs> yeah, that seems... That seems absolutely terrible. I can't imagine the amount of time. I, because I, I just think about the, the, the scope and depth of my iTunes purchase library, and I can't even imagine going through all of that and doing what you're describing. That just seems like such an exercise in futility. And it's, I haven't really even been doing it. It's just every once in a while when I click something and it doesn't want it, I'm like, fine, delete it. And in like two years, I'll probably have it done and resolved. <laughs> even though I've heard now they're... There's a rumor that um, Apple Music is finally being redesigned, which hopefully for people who use it, it is. But anyways, I've gone on. A, I feel like I've gone on a lot of adventures with my voice today, Lamb, and you haven't done a lot of. I've been not letting you share enough. So, what did you want to talk about this week? Um, I've been diving back into some. Uh, you know, it, we live in a very interesting time in in um, this this kind of segues us into what we've been watching lately or at least what I've been watching and we live in an interesting time where um, you know back when I was a kid cartoons were predominantly for kids um, and even though some of the the more flashy examples of that like either Roadrunner or Jerry where there was just incredible amounts of violence on these cartoon characters um, they, they were still pretty much kid shows uh, versus the modern age where there are are a lot more cartoons that are geared specifically for adults. Um, and I think about shows like, um, you know, Family Guy and Bob's Burgers, which I've been on a huge kick on lately, um, as well as Archer. Uh, Archer is still one of the most brilliant shows I've ever seen. And there's not a, there's not a day that goes by that I don't marvel at, 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 at least in the last couple of weeks, at how, how just incredibly entertaining that show is and how how it can stretch the boundaries of so many things so much further because the characters are animated um you know there's comedy there's violence there's there's gore there's 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 just a lot of things going on that are just not physically possible in the real world with real people um and i think that it's it's fantastic um even a show like bob's burgers i've been i've always liked that show um, but I haven't loved it until I've really gotten to sit there and watch it and pay close attention to what's happening. And there's so much going on in that show in the background with characters. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a show full of red herrings. And I absolutely love stuff like that. So for me, it's, it's been, especially lately since I've needed something that's kind of a comedic escape from what is basically a heavier world. Um, it's really, really nice to have the option to, to, to kind of take a dive into a more serious cartoon that keeps me absolutely entertained um, in every way that, that a, a show can entertain me. Um, you know, there's action, there's violence, there's comedy, there's all of those things. So it's really, really great. I'm definitely where you were. I haven't div- dove, in, dove into it enough to love it yet. I like it, but I've probably only seen like seven episodes. Yeah, you've got to give it a chance, and you've got to give it a long enough chance to, to uh, you know, for me, because it's one of Crystal's favorite shows. Um, I feel like I feel like I, I would like it a lot more. Um, how do I describe this? So, so a good analogy, or at least another example for me is Futurama. I didn't really care about Futurama until about maybe a year ago, and the reason why is because I didn't watch it continuously enough to give it the the type of chance that it needed in order to impress me as a show and I feel like now I love Futurama and I also love 
Um, I also love Bob's Burgers. It's it's kind of like Arrested Development. If you're not paying attention, to Arrested Development isn't that good a show. But the more attention you pay to it, the more the payoff is just absolutely wonderful in the end. Yeah, Futurama is my all-time favorite. All-time favorite. It, that makes sense. It cracks me up. And I, I've always, and some people are going to think this is blasphemy, I've always thought it was way better than The Simpsons. Oh, I agree with that, actually. <laughs> and I, th- I think it's because, you know, like The Simpsons is based, this is going to sound funny talking about a cartoon, but it's based more in reality than Futurama is. You know, it's a family. It's, sure. you know, there's school and there's work and there's a city and it limits the show to those things, which isn't a terrible thing. But mm-hmm. Futurama is nuts. It's all over the place. Yeah. And I'm a sci- I, I grew up with so much sci-fi around me that there's so many little things that they do that just... I get that other people maybe don't like the episode where they're on that weird planet and they're looking for food and somebody picks a berry and eats it and then says, Hmm, Roddenberry. Huh? And it's, if you don't know who Gene Roddenberry is, the joke's not funny, but I do. So I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Futurama's filled with those, um, in the sense that it's a show that's almost an homage to nerds in general. So, you have a deeper appreciation for the level of, of comedy in that show if you just happen to be a nerd because there are so many weird references like that that you just don't get otherwise, you know? Yeah, and, you know, plus all the heads in the jar. And, you know, yeah. if you if you don't pay attention, the heads in the jar, they don't make a point of making you notice every head that's in the jar. But sometimes they go past and you're like, there's the creator of the show, Matt Groening, there's his head in mm-hmm. a jar. There's uh, Sergio Aragonis, one of my favorite cartoonists, in a jar. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I have this. So we have a calendar of uh, of the Futurama characters, and I remember staring at Hypnotode for like five minutes the other <laughs> night. <laughs> you were hypnotized by Hypnotode? Totally. And I, I thought it was one of the funniest things. Like, I, I didn't even notice that I was doing it until minutes later. I was like, wow, I've been staring at this wall for a good three or four minutes. <laughs> Uh, speaking of adult cartoons, have you watched BoJack Horseman? No, I haven't, but I would love Will Arnett. So I, I, at some point, I want to give that show a proper watching and, and kind of just plow through it, you know? It's pretty it, funny. It seems, it seems like it's pretty funny, and it seems like it, it kind of goes along the same vein as the stuff that we're talking about. So I really, I'm really excited to watch it, but I'm also kind of tentative uh, just because I feel like, I feel like it, it's, it's going to be one of those shows that tries too hard. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I don't um I don't think it tries too hard. It's really? not it doesn't have the instant effervescence of something like Family Guy does that where you're just like this is magical. Yeah. Um but it's it's done it's well I've I think I've only done the first season so far, but it's pretty darn good. Yeah. Uh yeah, I have I have I have that same feeling about um uh, the the show that just kind of hit me right away. Um do you remember Metalocalypse? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that show. I You're absolutely... the one that made me watch them all. Oh, did I? Yeah. I, <laughs> I ripped through them all in like, I think, three days or something like that. Yeah, I, I love satires like that. I mean, for me, the, the satire in that show is just absolutely... It, it, because I, I, think, I, think, I think that that kind of hits the point that I'm trying to make when it comes to these, these animated shows is that they're committed you know, they're absolutely committed to their universes and their style in a way that most live action shows can't really do. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and so I think because of that, 
I, I'm, I feel much more engulfed in the world and I care much more about the characters and the storylines just because they are so thoroughly committed to what they're doing that, that you can't help but follow them. And what's nice about some of these shows is when they're not constrained by the average, you know, the status quo, you know, the way that like a, a lot of the cartoons we grew up were limited by the status quo in the sense that they had to make sure that nothing they did offended anyone. Sure. And even from the standpoint, not just for comedy, but just from the standpoint of subject matter and being able to hit things on the head and make things powerful. Sometimes you're going to offend people. And yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of a live action show that has that level of commitment. Um, and the only, the only one I can really think of is that, that first season of, of true detective. And I'm sure there are better examples of that out there somewhere, but I, I remember how, how hard they hit that world and how, how unflinching they were about creating characters that were, were pretty gritty um, and had, had longstanding histories that, that we, we didn't quite see in the show itself until it slowly unraveled as the characters built. You know, I, th I thought it was a really interesting um, choice by the, the writers and the creative team to, to force that level of commitment into the production process. I definitely think The Killing did that as well. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. The Killing is another good example. Actually, The Killing um, brought something to television that I hadn't really seen before, which was the idea of global, maybe global is a big word, but we'll say global effects. You know, the, the idea of this girl is missing, and normally we center around either the family or the cops. You're going to see both of those. But you're also going to see the mayor of this town and you're going to see the guy running for mayor and you're going to see and how it affects everyone and how that interrelationship affects the investigation. And sure. I thought that was quite brilliant. Yeah. And, and I can't think of another example of that type of show that did. And not only that, but the show wasn't really formulaic either in the sense that every single week the structure of the show changed. Um uh, not just in, in, in form, but in, in focus as well. You know, when the, when the mayor becomes the focus of the investigation or when certain people twist and turn, like, not only that, the end of season one was pretty devastating. I, re I remember how... Or the end of season two, even more so. Oh, yeah, even more so, yeah. And I remember how crushing that was when I first saw it. And I remember thinking in my mind as I was watching the, that, that very last episode, you know, I almost wanted to stand up and cheer for those guys because it was such... It was the only way that season could have ended. And, yeah. I, and I, I thought it was absolutely brilliant how they pulled it off. I, on, I mean, honestly, it's one of my favorite television shows ever. Yeah. And, and it wasn't, a lot of people didn't even get it. It kept getting canceled. And, like, I know that season three was completely different than season one and two. Um, but in all honesty, if you watch the end of season two, can you think of even possibly any way that you could have followed that up where people wouldn't have complained? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. And I actually kind of, I, I kind of wondered why they did a season three um, in retrospect. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like if I hadn't seen season one or season two, I probably would have liked season three a lot better. But considering that season one and season two existed, I'm, I don't know if I would have been brave enough as a creative team to try to create something that was so inherently different in season three. Yeah, season three was, of, of the four, season three was definitely my least favorite. But you needed it to get to season four, and I thought season four was pretty good. 
Yeah, I thought season four was pretty good too, but nothing really topped season one and two. Season two in particular was just, just absolutely devastating. <laughs> and it's it's. By the way, anybody listening right now that hasn't watched this, this is a minor spoiler. I'm not going to give a big spoiler, but yeah, I was trying so hard not to throw a spoiler out there. I was trying really hard not to do that. <laughs> and this isn't gonna. I'm not going to tell you, you know, anything about the crime or anything like that. So don't be afraid of that but if you don't mind knowing a minor detail you're about to hear one season one and two are essentially one season Mm -hmm. and it's hard to separate the two because it is the same storyline and that's also a problem that the other two seasons has it didn't have that build up the reason part of the reason that season two's ending was so powerful is because you had two seasons of build up and two Mm -hmm. seasons of anticipation and two seasons of questioning and and guessing who the murderer is. And I will say this for a show that I don't think intended to have a twist or a surprise. Ugh. It definitely caught me in the, in the soft spot. You know, it hit me in, 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 in between the ribs and because I didn't see it coming. And um, you, you, how could you have possibly seen that coming? It's, no way. <laughs> it's brilliant. And I, I want to go watch the original mm-hmm. um, because it's originally a, I want to say Swedish, but I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. I believe it was Swedish, yeah. I'll look right now so that we don't make complete fools of ourselves. Not that I think that there are an extreme number of killing fans out there, even though I believe there should be. Well, I, I, I considering who the re- the listenership of our show is, that might actually be not true. I remember when there's a few people that I turned on to it. I'm like, hey, watch the watch the first couple episodes. And then I would get texts from them like, you know, like sarcastic, like, thanks a lot. I've, I've done nothing but the last three <laughs> days sit here and watch this show. And that's that's because the right person. It's it's just a powerful show. And I'm having trouble finding the answer right now, but. Yeah, I remember Brendan was one of those people. I, I remember you actually, you know, back when we were hanging out socially a lot more, um, I remember I remember you continually trying to convince him to watch the show uh, in the same way that I, I try to basically convince everyone to watch Hannibal. And I remember you you would push him and push him and push him, and eventually he watched it, and he was one of those people that, that eventually just said, thanks a lot. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for the soul-crushing defeat. <laughs> John Victorino was another one of those people. Ah, uh, gotcha, yeah. And then on the other end of it, Giovanni hated it. He watched like three episodes and was like, this is boring. Really? But it's not his thing. I don't know. Maybe yeah, not. that's true. It's it's also a really slow show, and, and it requires a certain level of commitment and patience that I don't think certain people have. Well, it's not even that certain people have. You just have to be in the right mindset to watch it. And you got to be I, a cop show, crime show lover. If you don't like that kind of show, it's kind of like you know, like trying to convince people to watch Game of Thrones that don't like fantasy shows. Oh yeah, they're never gonna like it. They're sure. just not. Uh, it was Danish, Danish, Danish. Gotcha. For Bridelson. Yeah, and I I have friends who who don't like uh, True Detective for that same reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's slow. It's it's brooding. It's it's horrifying in many ways. And if you're not the kind of person that appreciates the art of that, then then you're probably not gonna like it. <laughs> and the two things that those shows have in common is. 
at least for me, what drove me through both of them was trying to figure it out. And if you're not a person that's going to try to solve that crime in your head, Mm -hmm. you're not going to get as wrapped up in it either. That's true. I'm I'm trying to think of of the type of show that transcends that though that you don't have to be that uh, the the only example of that that I can think of is um Breaking Bad that you know you don't have to particularly be into crime dramas or drugs or anything like that or to to appreciate the skill, craft and amazing performances that are in that show. Right. I w- I would agree with that. Um there's probably a few others if I were to stretch my brain, but I don't I don't want to stretch my brain right now. <laughs> <laughs> Plus we only have 10 minutes left. Yeah, that's true. We haven't talked about books yet. What are you reading? Um, I just started, and when I say just started, I haven't read enough of it to actually be able to tell you what I think of it yet. But um, let me look up the author. It's called Thinking Fast and Slow. While you're looking, actually, I'm really curious to know how this uh, New York Observer thing happened. Mm. Well, so essentially... Uh, I received an email after my last article went live on Todoist from a guy named Kevin Curry, who works at the New York Observer. Mm-hmm. And basically, he just he said, I, I loved this article. Um, I shared it with a couple of my friends. I'm pretty sure I had like a huge two day influx of um, vlog subscribers, a huge number of uh, newsletter subscribers, like which I, for something I don't promote very much, that was pretty huge. And I think they all might have come from him. Mm. Um, but yeah, basically he said he's like, we would love to republish this on the Observer. So That's fantastic. Nice. Yep. It was very cool. Very nice of him. Um, Daniel Kahneman is thinking fast and slow. So the What's the slug for the book? Drawing on decades of research in psychologies that resulted in a Nobel Prize in economic science, Daniel Kahneman takes readers on an exploration of what influences thought example by example, sometimes with unlikely word pairs like vomit and banana. System 1 and System (laughs) 2, the fast and slow types of thinking, become characters that illustrate the psychology behind things we think, we understand, but we really don't, such as intuition. Kahneman's transparent and careful treatment of his subject has the potential to change how we think, not just about thinking, but how we live our lives. Interesting. Great slug. Yeah, that is a pretty good slug. Um, have you? How far into it are you? A page or two? I'm, I think <laughs> I'm like in chapter two, maybe. Gotcha. Maybe. Uh, I haven't had a lot of time to read recently, so I'm yeah, trying so to figure out how to work that back in. Yeah, I, I have not. I have not picked up a book in four or five days. It's crazy. Um, I mean, that's not really uncommon in my life anymore. Actually, I, I try. I, I mostly consume things like podcasts and audiobooks just because I find myself in my car more often than I'm in any other environment. So, for me, reading has become difficult, um, and so that's that's my method of consumption now when it comes to to, to that type of medium. Right. Oh, by the way, um, one small two-second detour we have a new website guys oh yeah 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 that's right so uh new logo new website pretty rad okay back to consumptions did you see any good movies or anything i didn't watch any movies yeah i haven't i haven't seen any movies either um i although i do <laughs> want to go back on a i i, I want to go back and watch two movies in particular that i'm going to find some kind of way to have access to this week just because there's a special place in my heart for their weirdness um 
Uh, first one is uh, Baron Munchausen. Remember that one? Yes. Um, I I so badly want to see that again. I feel like I'm 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 on this because my world is so black and white and so tactile and so literal right now. I feel like I need some super weird fantasy. So I think Baron Munchausen is going to be up there. Um, and the second one on the list of, of movies that I need to watch again is 12 Monkeys. I, I really, really want to dive back into that movie. I haven't seen that for so long. Were we talking about that on Saturday too? Were we? I don't the, know if we were. The Jeté member? Oh, yeah, yeah. That might be that might be where it came from. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I, I I remember Terry Gilliam's face just popping into my, my mind a couple of days ago. And from then on, I've just been on this this rabid search for for a way to consume uh 12 monkeys again in its purest form i kind of want to watch it in the dark alone with no one else to 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 influence my 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 feelings on it yeah we were talking about the other one too that heath ledger movie the one that he died in the making of that I keep wanting to call Mr. Megorium's Magic Emporium, but I'm pretty sure that's the Dustin Hoffman movie. Yeah, that's the Dustin Hoffman one. What what the heck was it called? Ugh, I don't remember. It's something really similar to that, at yeah, least and in both, my mind. Which is funny because they both kind of came out at the same time, too. <laughs> so Yeah, that's so probably that's weird. Probably part of the problem, right? Sure, sure. It was uh, the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Uh, gotcha. Which Tom Waits is in that. Bing. Even even in the name, it sounds similar. That's got to be really confusing. I remember the other one had Natalie Portman, though, so I, I, of course, went for Natalie Portman instead. Did you ever see... I'm looking at his movie list right now. Did you ever see Tideland? No, but I'd heard a lot of good things about it. I've never uh, even heard of that. Do you remember A Knight's Tale? <laughs> With Heath Ledger? Yeah. I actually never saw that. Speaking of Heath Ledger movies, that is one of the dumbest movies I've ever seen, but it is still pretty entertaining. Um, I it kind that. of reminds me if you if you took Robin Hood Men in Tights and made it take itself too seriously, that's basically what a Knight's Tale would be. <laughs> I remember that the girl in it's very beautiful. Yes, yes, that is definitely definitely true. Oh, there's also uh, for anyone who's looking around at something gut wrenching and horrible, uh, based on uh, last week's podcast. I've been kind of hunting into Monica Bellucci movies as well because I think she's absolutely gorgeous. And there's a few out there um, that just 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 look up Monica Bellucci. And Irreversible. Know. Yeah, that movie is with the 12 minute rape scene in the tunnel. Yeah, and 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 actual physical violence. Um, the the funny thing is the reason I thought of that was because of the whole slap thing that we were doing in uh, Brandon's kitchen. Mm. Yeah, you you were quite popular on the vlog in the slap slap. <laughs> Irreversible is brilliant, though. I love Gaspar Noé. Yeah, and that that rape scene is one of the most brutal rapes. I I can't. I don't understand how how that's a fictional account, considering that Monica Bellucci looks like she's actually getting hit really hard. I don't right. know how to get that off. Yeah, so, it's, no. and it's it's not um, for those who haven't seen the movie. The purpose is not to glorify that. It's mm-hmm. actually to make you disgusted. With yeah. what should be something that you're disgusted by. Yeah, and it is it is absolutely gut wrenching. Um, it's one of the hardest things I've ever actually. It, it's one of the rare moments in cinema where I actually had to turn away at points just because it looks so real. Um, that yeah, it was it was difficult to watch. Yeah, he he he's an unflinching creator, Gaspar. Yeah, yeah. He you know you know what Gaspar is to me. He's the less far less gimmicky version of um ah his name is Corin are you going to say Harmony Corin No I was going to say uh, uh Nymphomaniac what's that guy's name 
Oh, Lars von Trier. Lars von Trier. I yeah. hate him with a passion. I don't like Lars von Trier. I think he is such a hack. His and movies I are awful. Yeah, I don't like him at all. And I, I there's a part of me. Uh, don't get me wrong. Antichrist was actually not bad, Ugh. but anything anything past that is just. It's just not good. It's not even good filmmaking, much less good storytelling. So for me, it's difficult to, to, to like him at all, you know. And I don't know what the fascination is with Lars von Trier. I think Lars von Trier is a, a good example of a director that people like because he's cool more than the fact that he's good. Yeah, yeah. and I think that there was parts of, I did not like Antichrist. Um, first of all, which is funny because I love the people in it. Uh, yeah. I just felt like it it was um, shock for shock's sake. I agree with that actually. And it's it's like um it's like the you know the kid that's always trying to show off. You know like mm-hmm. what you were saying you were afraid that Bojack Horseman will be. Yeah. That's what that's what Lars von Trier is to me. And I yeah. felt like parts of Nymphomaniac the first episode were pretty good. I'm like, "Oh, here we go. He's starting to ha- he's learning how to become a filmmaker." And then it just oh. Oh. Yeah. And I'm like, I, "I I'm now I hate this movie." And Yeah. Yeah, it was it, it was pure shock value, pure shock value. Yeah, I've I've I mean I've heard like his most palatable movie is Melancholia, mm-hmm. um, and I've avoided watching it just because I'm like, why would I subject myself to something who's somebody who's made two things that just I hated? Why why would I give him another chance? Sure. Good so point. he's he's off my list. Yeah, because I actually I actually hear the same thing about Melancholia. I think I I've heard that Melancholia is actually a pretty good movie. <laughs> Yeah, I just don't. I don't have any interest in. I don't care about him. <laughs> There's so many other great movie makers out there that I'll just focus on them and the people that think he does things good. Well, that's for them, right? Yeah, I guess to each their own in that sense. So, so what's on your watch list? What have you either watched or want to watch? Um, I feel like I haven't watched anything. I feel like I really, really need to watch some more black and white. Just because I'm doing filming in black and white every day, I feel like I want to enrich myself by watching more black and white. It may be time to rewatch for like the 500th time, rewatch Fellini's Eight and a Half, mm-hmm. sure. which is one of my all time favorite films. Maybe time to watch Wings of Desire again, another all time yeah. favorite film. Citizen Kane, throw that on there. Yeah, I have that on iTunes actually. I did buy that. I haven't watched it in a while. It's a yeah, great film. I love Citizen Kane. It's one of the, to me, it's it's filmmaking at its best. Yeah, and I'm I think it's time to watch probably some Kurosawa too. Yeah, I I kind you know what it's it, I I go I fall in and out of love with Akira Kurosawa. Don't get me wrong, he's a genius, but um, I also think at least at at some level he 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 realizes how how revolutionary he is, and so because of that, he he spends too much time. On, on on certain shots that don't deserve that much time. I feel like Wong Kar Wai falls into that for me too, is that, you know, if you watch In the Mood for Love or or any movie past In the Mood for Love, the, the scenes sometimes feel kind of contrived, and I, I don't really like that. I think I'm just blind when it comes to Kira Kurosawa. Pretty much anything that has his name on it, I love. Oh, sure. He's, like my, he's like my opposite of Lars von Trier. <laughs> <laughs> he's the anti-Lars von Trier for you. <laughs> and Fellini might be the same thing in... Ingmar Bergman, um, I don't know. There's just, and those are all. What's funny is most of those have worked at least half their career in black and white, and I I didn't ever realize that until right this second. <laughs> yeah, it makes me it makes me want to go back and watch. Uh, I really like Charlie Chaplin too, so it makes me want to go back and watch The Dictator. I I love that movie too. Another one of my favorites, Chaplin. 
Yep, Chaplin is fantastic. What about modern black and white movies? Oh, what was that one? Dude, Nebraska was great, first of all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With um, Oh, speaking of our our our, our tie back to last week uh, with our friend Aronofsky, I I I remember just having a conversation with Brandon about Pi. That was a oh, great. Oh yeah. yeah. Pi, I think I own that one. I might have it on the shelf here. You have a pretty nice collection of DVDs. <laughs> yeah, I should sell them. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Um, other modern black and whites. You know, uh, for me, a lot of times movies, I don't even make connections with years. Um, to me, what a modern movie is, is something that I've seen recently. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> have you ever seen, I, I've never seen it in the one in the Academy Award and I'm bummed that I haven't seen it yet. The Artist, that black no. and white film. I haven't seen it. Me neither. We should watch that and talk about it next week. That's probably not a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I keep getting told by so many of my friends who know my taste really well that I would absolutely adore that movie and I still haven't seen it. I'm, I'm bugged. It's years later and I still haven't seen it yet. It's funny how that happens, right? Yeah. You know, like I feel like that, like not that those two, these two films are comparable, but I feel like that with like Deadpool. Everybody's like, you will love it. And I'm like, I'm sure I will. Yet I have not watched it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, it's same thing with, um, one of my 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 all time favorite movies, uh, which is Spaceballs. Um, I just bought that so, too. Yeah, it's funny that we're talking about the artist and Spaceballs in the same sentence. But you know, I had so many people for so long tell me you've got to watch Spaceballs, man. You're gonna love that movie because I was a huge sci fi geek. I mean, both Star Trek and Star Wars, I love them both and have probably a disturbing amount of of, of knowledge about both. Um, but yeah, I hadn't seen Spaceballs for for a good 15 years after it came out, I finally saw it in my early 20s. And, of course, I absolutely love it. And now it's on my list of, of fantastic movies uh, of all time. But, yeah, it took me a while to watch that. Oh, speaking of, of movies um, that I love for all time, how, how, did you hear about that new announcement for the um, Indiana Jones movie that's coming out? Oh, I didn't hear I about a new announcement. I just heard they're making it. I, I know. I and, and that last one was so bad. But the one right before that, um, which was The Last Crusade, is probably in my top ten of movies of all time. Nice. Yeah, it seemed, it's weird to me that... Um, what's up with Harrison Ford? Like, is he broke? Because all he's doing is reprising roles. They're bringing, Blade Runner's coming back. You know, they're doing the second Blade Runner. They're doing another Indiana Jones. They, he was just in Star Wars. And then there was one other thing... Uh, uh, I'm like, is he going to be Jack Ryan again? Like, what's going on? <laughs> well, I, re I remember hearing, um, I, I believe it was Anthony Hopkins was on the t Tonight Show with Jay Leno. I believe it was Jay Leno. I, I'm not sure. But I remember Leno asking him at some point, um, you know, so what is it? How do you choose roles? You know, what is it that you, you do in order to choose roles? And Anthony Hopkins with a straight face just said, I do it for the money. And I thought it was absolutely hilarious that he said that. <laughs> well, it's uh, like Dennis Hopper. He never said no to anything. Yeah, that's unless true. unless he was already committed, that's the only time he would say no. Yeah, yeah, that's why. So, yeah, he... I find it fascinating that yeah, yeah, if, especially for a guy like Harrison Ford. I mean, we forget that he was in the the movie adaptation of Ender's Game. You know, <laughs> oh, so awful. Yeah, oh, that was not good. That, that was not not his brightest moment. Solid, painful six. Yeah, ugh, that was that was tough to watch. I mean, don't get me wrong, too. I mean, I, honestly, if I didn't know the storyline, if I didn't know anything about the the Ender's Game collection of stories, I probably would have liked it a lot more. But even as a standalone movie, that movie was just painful to watch. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Oh, and the movie that I was trying to think of, Bellatar's Damnation. Ah, 
Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very severe black and white movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, I put that one up there with uh, Seventh Seal. Do you remember that one? Yes, yes, that's um, that's Ingmar Bergman. Yeah, Ingmar Bergman with um, Don. Is that Donald Sutherland? No, it's not Donald Sutherland. It's um, Kirk Douglas. That's right. Mm, I, I'm trying to remember right now. I don't it's, think so. Really? I it's, think you might be confusing two movies. Uh, I, I might be. Because the Seventh <laughs> Seal is, possible. I think, an older film. It's Max yeah, von Sindow. Yeah, it, it's with uh, the knight playing chess against death. Yeah, it's Max but, von Sindow. Is okay, yeah, it's been it's been so long since I've seen that movie that, I mean, I remember the movie itself, but I don't remember much in the way of the, the details of its production or creative process, so... He's yeah, made, I love the movie. Bergman's made some amazing films. Sure. Wild Cronenberg Strawberries. Too. What's that? Cronenberg? We haven't thrown that one in there either. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those are more... Um, I don't know. Did you ever watch his crash? I never saw that. No. No, I never saw that. I heard it was pretty gnarly. Yeah. Well, you know what they say. When it's uh, one hour and 34 minutes, we should run. <laughs> <laughs> So any morsels of wisdom you want to leave us with before uh, we, we check out for, for, for the week? Never eat pizza upside down. <laughs>